Because when you think about the word responsibility, that's not a word that people accept these days, is it? I mean, nobody accepts responsibility for anything. I mean, uh, you've got the, the maskers and the non-maskers and the vacciners and the non-vaccine. I mean, nobody wants to accept responsibility. As a matter of fact, you could actually take that one step further and say that, you know what? When people have things happen in their lives, they're quick to blame somebody else. I mean, that's the culture. That's the place. That's the society that we live in. We're always playing the blame game. And now that I've said that, one of the things that I would tell you this morning is that when something bad happens, you know who it is that seems to get the blame? The person that most of the time gets the blame is God. Now think about that. Every time something negative happens, most all of us have this tendency to, to look for somebody else to blame, and the one who usually gets the blame more than anybody else is going to be God. I mean, even for those of us in the room who are Christians, when we have something negative happen in our lives, we just naturally start down this road where we want to point a finger at God and blame Him for the very thing that's happened to us. And here's what I find interesting. This whole lack of responsibility, this whole playing the blame game, the, the blame game actually finds its origin all the way back in the book of Genesis. Because if you look at the book of Genesis, that's where we saw the story or we see the story of creation. That's the place where the Bible tells us how God created man. The book of Genesis tells us that God created man in relationship and for relationship with himself. And despite that, man went and did the very thing that God asked him not to do. In other words, man broke the relationship that he had with God. And here's what's interesting. What's interesting about that sequence of events is that once man broke that relationship, it's after man broke the relationship that he had with God, it's after that that man has always looked at God in what I say is a suspicious way. Let me give you some insight. When God created man, God, God put man into the perfect environment. It, it was this amazing uh, environment of openness and transparency. And in that environment, Adam and Eve, who God created, Adam and Eve could be themselves. They knew God, and God knew them. And in that, that environment, in that garden, there was never any fear. There was never any fear of rejection. Because it was in that garden that God gave man the gift of freedom. And ultimately, that freedom would be the very thing that man would abuse. Because man would decide to do what he wanted to do. And when he did that, when man decided to abuse the freedom that God had given him, he introduced three things into this world. And here are the three things that we know about. Those things are sin, sorrow, and death. And once those three things made their way into this world, that's when man started to look at God with suspicion. And here's the thing I believe. The reason that man started to look at God that way was because those three things that you see on the screen behind me, those things didn't line up with who we thought God was if, in fact, God was a good and true and loving God. See, we all know the story. I mean, you don't even have to go to church much and you know the story. Adam eats the fruit. And when God comes looking for Adam, God says, Adam, what, where are you? What's going on? 
And immediately Adam says, the woman that you gave me. She made me eat the fruit. I mean, do you see it? In the very early stages of human history, we see man, listen, listen to what I'm saying, we see man, Adam blaming God for bad things. What's the reason? It's because the relationship was broken. The intimacy that man had shared with God in the Garden of Eden was lost. And I know some of you have questions. So, so can I just answer what I believe the question is that many of you have? Many of you would have a, a, a question in your mind about your ability to trust God. There, there's something that's happened in your life that you feel like has caused you not to be able to trust God. And that little story that I told you, that's the very reason that you feel like you can't trust God. It's because the relationship that man shared with God was broken. The intimacy that man had in the Garden of Eden with God was lost. And see, I get it. I get it. I get it. I understand it. Because you're just like me. We, we, you, you have a story. And, and, you, and you have all kinds of explanations about the things that have happened to you. But the real reason that you don't trust God is because a long time ago, that trust, that relationship was broken. And since then, all of us, we all struggle with trusting God. But see, here's the thing. This is what's so great about the Bible. Because the moment that Adam and Eve messed up their relationship with God, God went into repair mode. God went into repair mode so that he could restore the relationship that he had with his creation. And what's interesting is this. God could have just sat over in the corner and watched it all happen. God could have done nothing once Adam decided to abuse the freedom that God had given him. But instead, it's like almost immediately God went into repair mode because he wanted to repair the relationship with his prized creation. He wanted to repair the relationship that had been broken. And honestly, that's what the Bible is. Look, look at the screen behind me. I, I, I want you, you want to understand what the Bible is? The Bible is this. The Bible is the story of God's attempt to reconnect with man. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is the story of God's attempt to reconnect with his prized creation. So here's what I want to do today. I, I want to go deeper in the story because part of the story that we're looking at today involves a man by the name of Abram. Or most of us are going to know him as Abraham. And, and here's why I think it's so important in what we're going to be talking about today. Because we're, we're going to dive into the story. And as we dive into the part of the story that we're going to dive in today, into today, the story is going to show us how intentional God is when it comes to him having a relationship with us. That's the very thing we're going to see in the story. God wants to have a relationship with his prized creation, with man, that is characterized, he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants that relationship to be characterized by intimacy and trust. He wants to have a relationship so that you understand that he says to you, I'm going to do whatever I say I will do. So here's the story. Abraham is just a normal guy. I mean, Abraham is just a normal guy out there in the wilderness minding his own business. Now, here's what you have to understand. Abraham didn't have a Bible. Abraham didn't know how to pray. Abraham didn't know any of the things that you know. And we're talking like 4,000 years ago. 
And the Bible says that, that one day God shows up and he talks to Abraham. Now, that's kind of ironic based on what we talked about last week, right? But the Bible tells us that, that one day God shows up and he talks to Abraham. Now, we're not sure how it happened. But like I told you last week, since God is the one who created communication, it could have happened any way that God wanted it to happen. So when God talks, listen to me this morning, he will talk. And you're not going to stop God from talking the way that he wants to talk. And when God shows up to Abraham, God speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you big, big, big. You're going to be big. You're going to be a big country. And from there, you're going to be multiplied into countries all over the world. And Abraham, every family is going to be touched or blessed, and it's going to happen. Abraham, it's going to happen through you. L listen to this verse, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. God says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. Let me just stop here. Because I'm going to tell you, keep your eyes on our government. The moment we turn our back on Israel, we are cursed. And you better let your representatives know that. That they better never turn their back on Israel. Because these are the words of God Almighty. He says, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And here's what happened. God would keep coming back to Abraham. And listen to me this morning. When God would come back to Abraham... He would bring up what I just told you. He would come back and he would bring it up. And he would come back and he would bring it up. And one day Abraham said, you know what, God, I don't believe it's going to happen. Because I'm not seeing any of the things that you're talking about. You're telling me I'm going to have all these children, but, but God, I don't even have one child. See, God makes him this promise, and then God doesn't show up for another 10 years or so. And then God reminds him of the promise. Then another 15 years go by, and Abraham still has nothing. So finally, Abraham says to God, I'm just not sure this is really going to happen. So here's what God does. I'm, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this. God takes Abraham outside. And he said, Abraham, look at, look at the stars. Do you see the stars in the sky? Because that's how many children you're going to have. Abraham, you're going to have so many children that you can't even count them. And Abraham, this, all of this land around you, I'm going to give this land to you. And to your generations, and it's going to be yours forever. And we start to read the scripture. And as we read the Bible, it tells us that Abraham believed God. But we have to wonder how could he believe God? Because he didn't, even have an, he didn't even have one child yet. I mean, it wasn't like God said, you're going to have you know, three kids or five kids or, 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 or four kids. It, it, it was like God said, you're going to have so many children, you can't even count them. And Abraham is looking at what is happening in his life, and he doesn't even have one child yet. And, and that's when the story gets pretty amazing. Because one day God shows up. And this is really the spot that we're going to drill down on today. 
As a matter of fact, what we're talking about today is not just huge in the life of Abraham. What we're actually talking about today is huge in all of our lives. And not only is this huge in your life and in my life, it's proof of exactly what God wants to do in all of our lives. Not just my life, but your life as well. Because God does something in Abraham's life that is huge. Because you see, what God would do is God would come and he would establish a covenant with Abraham. And you're thinking, okay, what, what do you really mean when you say a covenant? Well, here's the thing. For you to totally understand the story, you have to understand what a covenant really is. Now, again, in, in our world today, most of you don't deal in covenants unless you're a part of a homeowner's association. And that's a covenant from the backside of Hades, am I right? I mean, they're just terrible. <laughs> but again, that, that's where you have covenants is in homeowners associations. But a covenant was what was used to establish contracts back in the Bible. In biblical times, a covenant was used to establish a contract. The, the word covenant actually means taking two things and, and bonding those things together. You're actually taking two different things and you're, you're shackling those things together. So here's one thing what happened. In a covenant, two, two people or two families or two nations, they would come together. They would come together in agreement and they would say that, that we are bonding together. We are shackling together ourselves. And in doing that, we're coming together and bonding together, and we're making a promise. And again, when you, when you talk about a covenant, you have to understand that there are, there are four parts to a covenant. There were the terms. In other words, we come into covenant, and there are the terms of the covenant. In other words, we're going to say, you know, I'll do this, and you'll do that. There's the oath of the covenant. You, you specifically spoke the oath after you decided on the terms. Then there's what I call the, the ratification. There was something that you did symbolically that would demonstrate the fact that, that the two of you were entering into a covenant together. And then there was what is called the curse. And the curse was what would happen if either one of the people didn't keep up their end of the deal. Now, now let me help you get your hands around this. If you've ever been to a wedding, and I know everybody in here has been to a wedding, then at a wedding, you have seen three parts of a covenant enacted at the start of the wedding we have the charge that would be the terms then we have the vows the vows would be the oath and then they would ratify the marriage how would you ratify the marriage how do you, anybody know the rings you ratify the marriage with the rings the only thing that is missing from the marriage ceremony is the curse. And I have been thinking lately that maybe if I would install a curse in the marriages that I do, they would last. You understand what I'm saying? So maybe I need to start doing that. So in Abraham's day, when people entered into a covenant, there were the terms, there was the oath, there was the ratification, and there was the curse. And here's the thing I want you to really understand. You have to understand that covenants were not just biblical things because covenants were around even before Abraham. There were, three different, there were three different kinds of covenants that existed in the biblical times. There was the shoe covenant. 
In other words, when you and I entered into a, a, an agreement, we would exchange shoes. So I'm just going to tell you today, I'm not entering into any shoe covenant with anybody. I'm very happy with my shoes, okay? That's just the way that works. I'm not sure anybody would want them anyway. <laughs> so that's a shoe covenant. We would swap shoes. There was what was called a salt covenant. And again, I would take salt from a pouch of salt that I carried with me, and I would take salt from my pouch, and you would take salt from your pouch, and we would put it in each other's pouch. The, co the salt covenant said that if, if, if you or your family were ever in need, that I was going to be there for you, and you were going to be there for me. But the most bonding of all the covenants is what was known as the blood covenant. Because here's the thing, in the blood covenant, and see, I love this kind of stuff. In the blood covenant, you would actually kill an animal. And you would cut the animal in half. And then you would take the two halves of the animal, the opposite sides, and you would lay them down opposite of one another. And in the blood covenant, the two people that were entering into the blood covenant, they would walk hand in hand between the pieces of the animal. And here's the significance of what they were doing. They were entering into the death of the animal in which they were walking between. And they were saying to each other that if they did not do what the covenant said that they were going to do, then so be it done to me as it was done to the animal. I am dying to my right not to fulfill my part of the covenant. So that, that's, that's an overview of covenants. And I think it gives us the ability to actually understand and to grasp what we're going to see in this story. Because Abraham keeps having God come to him and tell him and promise him all of this stuff. God, you promised me this, and years go by, and nothing happens. And then you say it again, and more years go by, and nothing happens. You promised me, God, all of these children and all of this land, but from where I stand right now, God, I don't see any of it. So God does something in Abraham's life. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make sure that you know for sure that I'm going to do what I said I would do. So God entered into a covenant with Abraham. And I'm going to be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 15. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Because Benny reminded me this past week that you can't see your Bible, and I'm going to try to do better to get the lights up a little bit next week. So anyway, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, it's Genesis chapter 15, and I'm going to begin at verse 9, and here's what it says. So the Lord said to him, talking to Abraham, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham, Abram, same person, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, here's the thing. I want you to rem remember what I just read. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, because we're going to come back to that, into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, no, look at this, because again, this plays into the story of Moses. We see all of this. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. 
You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, now, now picture this. Here's Abraham. And knowing what you now know about covenants, because I just taught it to you. What do you think Abraham is expecting to happen? Because Abraham now has the animals cut up exactly like they're supposed to be. He has done it just like God told him to do it. So what do you think Abraham thinks is going to happen? Well, I'll tell you. He thought what was going to happen. He thought somehow that he, as Abraham, was going to hold the hand of God. And as he and God entered into this covenant, they were going to walk between the pieces of the animals that had been cut up. Because he knew in his culture that was his part. He knew that it was his part to walk between the animal parts and enter into a covenant with God. And God was going to say, Abraham, here's what I'm going to promise to do. But here, Abraham, is what you have to promise to do. But look at what happens in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Look at the next verse. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, now think about it. We, we, we talked about it just a moment ago. Do you have any idea what Abraham was doing when this happened? Abraham was asleep under a tree. A deep sleep had fallen over him, but he could see everything that was happening. Abraham just sat underneath a tree. And Abraham watched the smoking fire pot and the torch go between the pieces of the animals that he had cut up and arranged just as God had told him to arrange them. And let me help you understand, in that culture, listen to me, in that culture, that was totally unbelievable. See, here's the thing. I think we have to really look at the significance of this. What we have to understand is that God just entered into a covenant with Abraham. And in entering into this covenant, listen to what I'm saying, God required nothing of Abraham. God made a blood covenant with man. And listen to what I'm saying to you. you. You've got to grasp this. Man didn't have to do a thing. There was no oath. There were no vows. No nothing. Abraham just sat over under that tree and watched the whole thing. And God basically says to Abraham, Abraham, I don't care what you do. Abraham, I don't care how bad you foul things up. I don't, I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bring you back to this property. And from you, every family in the world will be blessed. And Abraham, you just sit there and watch it because there isn't one thing that you can do about it. Because, Abraham, you're over there and you're not involved in it. You just sit there, Abraham, under that tree, and you watch 
this smoking fire pot and this torch walk between, this anim- walk between these pieces of animals. You just sit over there and you watch it happen. Now, here's the crazy question that we have to explore this morning. Why would God do this? Why would God do such a crazy thing with man? Why would God enter into a covenant with man and not require man to do anything? When God had mankind right where he wanted them, when mankind in Adam and Eve just marched out of, you know, in their own way. And by marching out in their own way and, and abusing the freedom that God had given them and introducing sin, sorrow, and death into the world, then why would God come back and make a deal with this same sinning human race? Why would God come back and commit himself to a promise with mankind through Abraham and say, you don't have to do anything? You don't have to do anything. You just sit there and watch it happen. Because you can't possibly mess this up. Why would God promise that? And why would God promise to bring about something unconditionally through this family that would ultimately bless every family on this earth? Why would God do that? Let me let let you in on a little secret. If you'll take the time to read the Old and New Testaments, You'll see why he did it. Because God is on this relentless pursuit of man so that he can connect with his prized creation. See, even though man walked out and abused the freedom that God had given him, God never gave up. Even though Adam and Eve turned their back on God, even though you and I have turned our back on God, God enters into a covenant with Abraham, and God doesn't require anything of Abraham. Because he knew this. He knew that Abraham, just like you and just like me, he knew that we could not keep up our end of the bargain. So God doesn't require anything of Abraham. God looks over at Abraham under that tree and he says, I'm not going to take a chance. Abraham, you just sit tight. You sit over there in that deep sleep and you watch what happens because I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. I'm going to obligate. That's what God was saying to Abraham. I'm going to obligate myself to you, mankind, Abraham, because that's how important you are to me. Now, let me paraphrase the rest of the story. About 15 years later, Abraham had a son. And that son had a couple of sons. And one of those sons had about 12 or 13 sons. And the whole family went to Egypt just like God told Abraham. And under the nose of Pharaoh, they developed into a great nation, right under the Egyptians' nose. And then Moses comes in and takes this whole nation and marches right back to the spot where God made the covenant with Abraham. And again, this is about a thousand years later. And they develop into this great nation, and there are kings, and there are battles, and there are armies, and every single generation of the leaders of Israel. Hear what I'm saying. God's people, the Israelites, every one of them messed up. David messed up. Solomon messed up. Every single one of them messed up. But do you know what God did? The Bible tells you God kept his eye on the ball. God just stayed right on the trail. 
And God just marched on saying he doesn't care how bad they foul it up. He will not be deterred. Because I will bring from this nation a person that will bless every family on earth. And you can just sit there and watch it happen. Because you can't possibly mess this up. Because I want a connection. I want a relationship with my prized creation. God says that is something that I will not be deprived of. It will not be something that escapes me. And see, here's the thing. You read the story of this nation. You read the story of Israel. And let me tell you what you'll see. You'll see that Israel messed everything up. And 2,000 years later... After God makes this unconditional promise, an angel shows up to a teenager in a city of Nazareth, and the angel says, you know, I have some good news for you. The angel says to this teenager, I have some really good news for you. You're going to have a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. And he's going to be the Savior of the world. And then the angel went over and woke up Joseph. And he said, Joseph, I have some really good news for you. Mary's pregnant. That's not the good news. The good news is that you don't have to worry. Because she's going to have a son. And the son that she has is going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that the prophet Isaiah made hundreds of years before when he said that a virgin will have a son and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. After 2,000 years of God staying on the trail, after 2,000 years of God keeping his eye on the ball, Jesus is finally born as a fulfillment of what God promised Abraham 2,000 years earlier. It finally happens. And here we are today. And some of you have questions about the Bible. Do you know why you question the Bible? Because you haven't read the Bible. You question the Bible because you haven't read it. I mean, you tell me. How did all these things just happen accidentally? Well, Randy, I, 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 why did it take so long? Why did it take so long for all of these things to happen? I'll tell you why it took so long. It took so long because God knew that in 2021, there were going to be a bunch of skeptics that would say, well, I just don't know if that's true or not. He knew that. So God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be relentless. And we see Jesus who comes onto the scene and Jesus fulfills the very thing that God had been doing all along, which is pursuing us. Because God says, I'm going to bring somebody into the world that can bless every family. And through Jesus... Salvation is offered to every family on earth. And see, here's the thing. When, when Jesus comes onto the scene, when Jesus shows up, he starts talking about God. And he says, God, God is like a shepherd who's lost a sheep. God is like a lady who's lost a coin, and, and to find that coin, she turns the house upside down until she finds it. God is like a father who's lost a son, and he's committed to reconnecting with that son. That's what God is like. And all through Scripture, we find God 
in pursuit, in an attempt to reconnect with him, with man. And listen, this is so powerful. Because we think that when the angel said he will be called Emmanuel, see, most of you think it's Emmanuel, God is after me. It's Emmanuel, God's out to get me. It's Emmanuel, God's going to smash me. It's Emmanuel, God can't be trusted. But that's not it. It's Emmanuel, God is with us at last. You know what some of you need to do this morning? You need to quit hiding. Some of you this morning, you need to quit hiding from God. You, you've got to find those things in your life that keep you from going one-on-one -on -one with God. And you know what? You've got to quit doing those things. Because God's not going to give up on you. God's not going to give up on you. And he's not going to let your sin get in the way. Let me tell you what else he's not going to let get in the way. He's not going to let your religious story get in the way. Because God is too relentless. He's paid too much of a price. He's invested too much. And there's nothing that he wants more than to have a relationship with you. Do you know what God would say to some of you today? You know what I think he would say to some of you? I know you've had a bad experience at church. I know you've had a bad church experience. I know somebody in the church has done you wrong. But, but why don't you bring what somebody did to me and let's me and you just talk about it. That's what God would say. Why don't you bring the experience that you had with a church person or a pastor or a worship leader. Why don't you just bring that to me and let's talk about it. But don't avoid me. That's what God would say. Bring it to me and let's talk about it. Don't avoid me. And you know what I think he would say to some of us? Let me tell you about my son and his experience with religious people. You need to read his story. Because you see, you and I have something in common. See, I, I, I think God would say, you need to understand, my son has scars as the result of dealing with religious people. That's what you need to know. So God would say, don't avoid me because of something that happened to you in church a long time ago. Some of you are avoiding God. You're, you're, you're stiff-arming God because of something that happened to you as a result of a relationship or a broken relationship with somebody in the church. Do you know what else is happening in the lives of some of you? You're avoiding God because of your sin. We're not talking about last year's sin. We're talking about last night's sin. And tonight's sin. I mean, some of you right now, are, you're at a place where you're wondering, what am I even doing in a church? Because you see, it's because of your sin and your sinful lifestyle. That's the reason why you don't want to deal with God and the reason you don't want to deal, deal with God is because you're afraid. You're afraid of what he might say to you. And, and can I tell you what he's saying to you this morning? God's just saying, try me. Just try me. Just come to me and place all of your cards on the table, just you and me, and let's talk. Because God wants you to know he's been in pursuit of you. And he would say to you, you think your sin is going to get in the way? That's not true. 
And it's not true because I've already dealt with your sin. Some of you are here today and and we're a Christian. You're a Christian like me. And the place that you find yourself is right now, you're at a place where you're mad at God. You spent years and years being mad at God. And in being mad at God, you've been that Christian that's hiding behind your anger. And you've never taken the time to get alone with God. And you never said to God, God, I'm just, I'm just going to bring this out in the open. And God, I just want to tell you how I feel. You've never done that. But can I just tell you something this morning? God can handle your anger. God can handle your being mad. Even at him. Because as a matter of fact, he would be honored that you would bring your anger with him to his attention. See, I think we need to remember that that he entered into a blood covenant with Abraham and he said this. He said, I'm going to be relentlessly pursuing you and I'm going to keep coming back and coming back and your sin is not going to get in the way. Because your sin is no longer a problem because I've dealt with your sin. And the question for us this morning is, what, what is it that you're hiding behind? What's keeping you from a relationship with God? Are you afraid that God is going to reject you? That'll never happen. Read the Bible because God doesn't reject. Why would God send his son into the world and then reject you? That would be crazy. See, the problem is that you and I hide behind things. We hide behind our wrong attitudes. We get these ideas in our minds and we think that God is what God is like and what he's going to say. And let me tell you, we are wrong. Because this morning, here's what God is saying. God is saying to you, those of you in the auditorium, those watching and listening online, God is saying, give me a try. Just give me a chance. Emmanuel, God with you. Not God is going to smash you. It's Emmanuel, God with you. Not God can't be trusted. Because see, here's the thing. This is a plan that started over 4,000 years ago. God wants to connect with all of us. So today, why don't you do yourself a favor? Why don't you do yourself a favor and and quit hiding from God? Quit hiding behind something that really doesn't matter. Just take the time, even right now or maybe this afternoon, just get alone with God. Maybe even get in the closet at your house where you can just be alone with God and say, God, I'm not making any promises, but God, I just need to talk to you. And just let it all out. Say, God, I'm mad. I just want you to know I'm really mad. And God, I don't trust you. And yeah, God, I've been hiding behind religious formality. But God, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be relational with you. So this morning, would you do the relational thing that you need to do? And would you attempt to connect with God in a way that you've never connected with Him before? I really want to say just one more thing. If there is one thing that you won't experience when you go to God, you won't experience rejection. And you know, It might just be the fact that you don't experience rejection. 
that might be the beginning of an amazing relationship that you have with him. And that's the relationship that he has been pursuing you for. It's Emmanuel. God with us. It's Emmanuel. Because he came in our direction. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, this morning we are so thankful that we have this time where, God, we can open the pages of your word. And, God, in those pages we can find truth. And not just truth. God, we find the story of where you have been relentlessly pursuing us. Even after Adam abused the freedom that you gave him. God, my hope, my prayer this morning is that each one of us, regardless of what it is, the attitude we have, the the wrong attitude we have, the, the religious experience that we have that has kept us from you, whatever it is that we're hiding behind, my hope and my prayer this morning is that we as your people would give you a try because you've already done it all. You knew that we as sinful human beings would mess it up. And in that smoking fire pot, in that torch, You said, Abraham, watch me. I'm going to do it all. There's nothing required of you. And God, you wait. You wait for us because you want to be in relationship with us. And that relationship is found through Jesus Christ. May we realize that as we move into this holiday season that our God is pursuing us like never before. God, we love you and we thank you for this time as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.